Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. subject of the first sin, and we're taking our scripture from the book of Genesis, the third chapter. Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to read the scripture first as I normally do, but I'm going to take it verse by verse. If you'll hold your Bibles open and will follow with me, we'll go down through the first few verses of this third chapter of Genesis that deals with the first sin that was committed. The scripture begins just after the placing of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember from your study of the scripture that Adam and Eve were without sin. They had never committed a sin. They were sinless. They didn't know what sin was. Had they remained sinless, we wouldn't know what sin is. But they did not, and therefore we do not. But in the middle of this state of perfection, where they had all the things that life could possibly offer them, they lived in harmony with God, and then Satan comes into their midst and begins to deal with Adam and Eve and finally causes them to sin. The scripture in the third chapter begins with the words that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is not the serpent that really is involved here. It is Satan himself who came down and possessed the body of the snake. I believe very strongly in demon possession. Satan takes control of animal life, but he also takes control of human life. Do not mistake that you're going to, uh, the fact that you're going to see people possessed of the devil as much as you see people that are possessed of the Holy Spirit. That is a reality. Satan cannot be powerful until he has entered into a body. He does his dirty work because he possesses someone. Sometimes he makes every effort to repossess us who are his children. And that's why we as Christian people have such difficulty in facing the problems of life and wonder why we cannot keep ourselves from sinning. The reason is Satan is trying to repossess us, to take control again of our lives like he once had. And so, he is in possession of the, the body of the snake, 
The word subtle means crafty. Satan is very crafty. And in this capacity, he came to, to Eve and asked her a question. And the question was, has God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, if you go back over to the first chapter, the 16th and 17th verses, we find where God said, you shall not eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. All the other trees of the garden you can eat of, this one tree, you shall not eat of it. The command. Satan is smart. And so the first thing he does when he wants to get control of somebody is to begin to cast doubt upon what God has said. To cast doubt upon what the scripture says. This is the thing that we run into in our own lives and in the lives of people that come to us for discussion or counsel is that they have begun to doubt God. When you begin to doubt God or doubt his word, you are in danger of falling under the control of Satan. This is what he did with Eve. He questioned her. Did God really say that you shall not eat of that tree that is in the middle of the garden? And Eve said, yes. He said, we may eat of the fruits of the tree of the garden. There in verse 2, verse 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Oh. Thou shalt not, lest you die. And the serpent comes back in verse 4, Satan, and says, You're not going to die. The first lie ever told. You're not going to die. That same lie Satan is telling to people today. And he's saying to this lost man, this lost woman, you're not going to die. God wouldn't send you to hell. God loves you too much to send you to hell. But listen, the scripture says you will die. John 3, 16 and 17 and 18. We know John 3, 16 well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we stop there too many times. And we don't read the next verse. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. That's also a part of God's word. Yes, God loves us, and God wants all of us to go to heaven and be with him forever, but be absolutely assured, without accepting Jesus Christ as one Savior, you are condemned and you will die. That's God's word. 
Satan says, ah, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Jesus gave us a story of a rich man who had at the gate of his yard a beggar by the name of Lazarus that laid there day after day after day full of sores. And Lazarus, being very wealthy, ignored and paid no attention to this poor beggar Lazarus and walked around him and went about his business. The dogs came and licked the sores of this man. The dogs had more sympathy for Lazarus than did the rich man. Isn't it interesting to note that we know the, the beggar's name, but we don't know the rich man's name? We're not told his name. That tells us something. In the eyes of God, there are some things that makes us important more than others. Here was a beggar who loved God. He had none of this world's goods, but there's one thing he had, and that is he had life. Eternal life. The day came when both Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man died. Lazarus had nothing in this world, but he went to heaven. The rich man, the scripture says, awoke in hell. He looked up. He recognized Lazarus by name. Sitting in the bosom of Abraham, the scripture says. Here he is in torment. You're not going to die, rich man. You've got much goods laid up for years to come. Eat, drink, be merry, be happy, enjoy this life. You're going to live forever. No, you're not. God's word says, ye shall die. The lie. You know, that's the greatest gamble that a person ever takes is to listen to the words of Satan and believe that you're going to live forever. And when the body dies, God's going to take your soul to heaven. That's a lie. A lie perpetrated by Satan himself. It's a lie. When a person leaves this world without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. That's God's word. Now, he's told the lie. Verse 5 says, God... This is Satan speaking. God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes will be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know something? That very thing happened. They ate of the fruit, as you know, and they did know good and evil. We have the tendency to think that we have to teach the difference between good and bad, between right and wrong. Listen, listen to me carefully. It's born in you. It's born in you. You know automatically the difference between going to heaven and going to hell. Living a good moral life for God or living a beastly life for Satan. It's born in you. 
We don't have to teach that truth. When we become old enough, the age of accountability, whenever that is, and we've always used the age 12, and that's ridiculous, because some people reach it younger than others, and some people reach it uh, later in life, and some people never reach it because of mental deficiencies or what have you. But, listen, when we reach that age that we can uh, reason and think for ourselves, it is not difficult for a person who is rational to think the difference between heaven and hell, the difference between serving Satan and serving God. It's born in us. And that's the testimony that even Satan himself gave. A truth that he acknowledged that whatever you forsake your faith in God and eat of that fruit of that tree, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. And it happened. Verse 6. Eve looks at the tree. And she notices three things. Number one, the tree looks pretty good. Good, for, good to eat. That fruit looked good. That's one thing that Satan teaches about sin. It looks mighty good. Don't you mistake the appearance of sin. Sin is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's appealing. It's desirable. There is not a sin that is ugly. The results are ugly. But not the sin. It appears something that we cannot possibly get along without. The things that are desirable to satisfy the physical cravings of our body. There is never a person who has ever committed a sexual sin but why he thought it was beautiful. There has never been a person who has, who has done whatever the sin might be but what he has thought, I must have this to satisfy myself. So she looked at it and saw it in those terms. And secondly, it was pleasing to the eyes. I mean, it really looked good. And thirdly, it would make her wise. Temptation time. We've all been there, have we not? When the appeal of those things that we seem to want so badly that we cannot resist stands out there and Satan says, my, doesn't it look great? Doesn't it look good? That's what you need. You're not going to die. So she takes of the fruit. She partook of the fruit. But I want you to notice it was not a single action. She gave it to her husband and said, here, have a bite. My point, many people say to me, well, I may be sinning, but I'm hurting nobody but myself. Don't you believe that? That's another one of Satan's lies. When I sin, I hurt somebody else, not just me. When you sin, you have hurt somebody else, not just you. You've hurt yourself. 
You've hurt your family. You've hurt your friends. You've hurt your church. But most of all, we have hurt Jesus Christ. Our sin will affect somebody else. We do not sin alone. Can you think of a sin that you have committed that had no effect whatever on anybody else? I think you cannot. I think you cannot. These two people had children. Two of them were named Cain and Abel. And you remember the story how that Cain killed his brother Abel and buried his body and God came looking and said to Cain, where is your brother? And Cain said, in effect, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? The response that God gave back was an affirmative. Yes, you're your brother's keeper. Yes, there is a responsibility that you have for me, and I have for you, and you have for your neighbor, and your friend, and the person down the street, and the one that you don't even know. There is a responsibility for me and for you to live before God that we have a positive influence upon the community in which we live, upon our neighbors and friends and family. What have we done Many times we have done like Cain and destroyed our brother and then tried to say it's not my responsibility. He sinned on his own. No, he didn't sin alone. He sinned with us. If we allow him to sin, we partake in the responsibility for his sin just as Eve was responsible for Adam's sin. Now look what they did. The first thing they did, they discovered they were naked. They'd been naked all along. They were innocent. They didn't know. Now they have found out exactly what Satan told them there in the fifth verse. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. And brother, they did. And the thing that they discovered when they looked at each other, that they were ashamed, for they were naked. And so they got some leaves and, and made themselves an apron in order to cover up their sin from each other. That's the first thing a sinner will do is try to hide it from somebody else. You just watch. You listen. You think about it. There's not many of us that are going to stand up and give a list of our sins so that everybody will know about it. And we should not. But I guarantee you, the first thing we'll try to do is hide it from somebody. Seldom are we going to confess it. But we should some people. The second thing we will notice is they tried to hide it from God. God came walking in the cool of the evening and called out Adam's name. Adam, where are you? Well, where was Adam? He was behind the tree. Why? Because he had sinned and he was afraid to approach God. That's why it's difficult to get people into church. Because God's here. The Holy Spirit of God is in this building. When his people are gathered here, he's present. And let me tell you, if I don't want to face God, I'm not going to come to church. I guarantee you I won't. 
I mean, who would be dumb enough to go into the presence of somebody you want to avoid? We try to hide ourselves from each other, but more importantly, we hide ourselves from God by covering ourselves up. We hide from each other by putting on masks. Do you really know me? Some of you think you do. But listen, you don't know me. You only know what I want you to know of me. And I don't know you. You've got a mask on. And you haven't been willing completely to remove that mask. Nor have I. So we try to hide ourselves from each other behind some image that we want you to see. And we try the same thing with God. To get him to think that we're a pretty good person. And we have our mask on and we're behind the tree. Because we know as soon as we come out into the open, the mask is not going to hide us from God. And no more than the fig leaves that Adam and Eve had sewed on. And that tree isn't hiding anything. Adam had to come out into the open and face God face to face. The day's going to come sooner or later when every man, woman, and child will have to face God on one-to-one basis, and the masks will come off. The trees no longer will hide, and we're going to be facing God and responding to him when he says, where are you? And Adam says, well, I've been hiding because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? How did you do that? Did you eat of that tree I told you not to eat of? Adam says, that woman, She did it. Bob turns to the woman. Satan, serpent did it. The blame goes to somebody else. The bottom line of our sin is we will answer to God for our own sin. And all three of these, and we'll stop with that, as you well know, the serpent and the woman and the man, all three, answered to God for their sin. God provided a means whereby the sin of man and woman could be forgiven. There was no forgiveness for the serpent or Satan. If you are without Christ this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you stand naked before God. But your sins can be forgiven. He will forgive through Jesus Christ who died on the cross as the sacrifice for the very sin that man has committed. Are you a sinner this morning? We all are. Some of us are sinners but have been saved by the grace of God. Some are sinners yet to be saved. You will die will die. But you don't have to die eternally. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Don't believe the lies of Satan. Remain true to God and to his word. And it says, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we repent of our sins, we shall be saved. We'll never die. Will you do it this morning? If there is a decision to be made in this congregation this morning, 
got to send an invitation in. I invite you to come forward. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.